0: Hello everyone and welcome back to Everyday Anarchism, the show that finds anarchism, non-domination, cooperation, mutual aid in your everyday life. I am your host, Graham Colbertson. Today I have a returning guest I'm very excited about, Mark Bittman. He came on the podcast last year to discuss his book, Bitman Bread, with his co-author, Carrie Conan. Today, Mark is here to discuss his book, Animal Vegetable Junk, which is a Brief and fascinating, incredibly enjoyable, and just absolutely enlightening book about our food system. Mark is also going to be joined by Ricardo Salvador, who is a member of the Union of Concerned Scientists. He's an agricultural scientist, and Ricardo has made it his mission to make the food system better, to make it work for us and for the world as opposed to for corporations. Join me, Mark and Ricardo, for a brief discussion, just a taste, of what is wrong with our food system and how it can be better. And for more, I'll have links to Ricardo's work and, of course, a link to the book Animal Vegetable Junk. After the music, that conversation. So I've read a lot of these, you know, whatever you want to call them, somewhat popular books about food, you know, Jonathan Lethen, uh, Pollen, King Solver, Animal Vegetable Junk was my was my favorite, and I really appreciate everything you put into it. I have not seen it talked about like some of these other books. I don't know why that is. In part, um, it, maybe it came out at a bad time, which is to say during the COVID years. But I thought jumping off of our previous conversation, um, when we were talking about the, the food system, the thing that stuck out for me in the book, and this is why we have you and also Ricardo, who is our scientific expert, is we've got this thing, the food system, it's a disaster. It's not serving anyone. We have to make it better somehow. And right now, and then i'll get you uh, what, what i took away from the book is there's sort of two huge problems with how we do food one is that the corporations are in charge of it they run it in this agra business model that is bad for people bad for plants bad for animals bad for the environment bad for everyone and then the second one is insofar as the government intervenes in this process it does so either as a an advocate for industrial farming or in the name of what we might call, like you might call in the book, like reductionist nutrition. When the government does try and make things better, it's much less about putting a great plate of food together as opposed to thinking in these kind of very technocratic scientific terms that end up not helping us so we've got this disastrous system i recommend to everyone that you read animal vegetable junk i have the author mark bittman and his friend and a member of the union of Concerned scientists ricardo salvador who is an expert on the food system to tell us where we've gone wrong and how we can fix it oh and this is everyday anarchism so thank you mark and ricardo
1: it's great to be here
2: i mean ricardo is is a friend but um he's also a mentor so half of what i say is really stuff i learned from him so we'll just say, get that right out front here <laughs> you know it's interesting that that there was um there's a kind of internet meme going around right now about a a uh, an idiotic attempt to classify foods and most attempts to classify foods that that use computer models or or detailed analysis wind up being wrong because depending on your standards it's very easy to demonstrate that sugar pops are better for you than a banana and so this thing went around ricardo i don't know if you saw it you probably did and it and it and it was bad it was wrong and it also so the people who recognized that it was bad and wrong also inflated its importance and said, this is something the government is trying to foist on us. This is going to be the next food pyramid, saying that literally Lucky Charms were healthier than watermelon, I believe, or something like that. No, healthier than steak. Um, But And so everything about this internet meme was crazy and wrong, except the two fundamental things were right. It was a terrible analysis. And the government's nutrition advice is usually not very good. <laughs> so, so, that's it. You know, I think Ricardo and I would would both agree that nutrition advice is is pretty simple. But USDA and FDA, which which are the agencies charged with advising officially advising us about those kinds of things, don't do a very good job. In part because their mission. They have conflicted missions. And we do talk about, I do talk a lot about that in animal vegetable junk. In part because they have conflicted missions, um, in part because they're revolving door agencies and people come from industry and have and have corporate goals in mind and go into government agencies and and don't then change their their attitudes. Um they're not they're not looking to do what's best for. For people now, I'll stop talking in a second. I know Ricardo feels that some progress is being made, but I, but those are kind of fundamental dietary issues. Is that the the whole picture is could be so much simpler, and the government is very has been really bad about about painting us a simple picture.
0: Great, yeah, thank you, Ricardo. It's it's your turn. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, let me first of all agree on the excellence of animal-vegetable junk, and I recommend that anyone that hasn't read this book pick it up. Uh, If you're listening to this podcast because you're interested uh, in the way that society has currently become structured, there are a lot of lessons in this book about how old systems have become accreted into what we consider to be a modern system, which is not good for us. And if you're listening to this podcast because you're interested in food issues, uh, I have found my uh, friendship and partnership with Mark to be uh, really delightful because he's one of the real masters in taking complicated ideas and not dumbing them down, but articulating them in such a way that you can understand them. And that book, is the best survey. I agree of a very complex history that spans ten thousand years, and it should be a part of everyone's basic education. So, on your on your question, um, I I think that one of the things for us to focus on is the notion of what the purpose of the food system is. the um, The current structure of the food system. Um, I think it's difficult to understand because there are a lot of components that it does really, really well. There are a lot of places where, for instance, it uh, saves us time. It gives us convenience. Um, uh, It has made us addicted to things that are really, really palatable. And you could easily believe that the function of the food system is to basically delight us, to sate our appetites, Um, when in fact if you step back and realize that what has happened is that we've completely handed over our health and well-being to this structure that we call the food system, it should not be free to do as it will, because we've seen that the outcome of that is that it focuses on things that are noxious to public well-being. The things that it does well are to essentially turn abundance into scarcity, and into accumulating a lot of wealth for a very small number of people out of the necessity that the rest of us have because we've completely handed over the function of producing food. We depend on that sector now for the food that we have. So there's a lot to, to unpack there, but I just thought I'd throw that out there as the big frame. that The purpose of the food system is the thing that we should not lose track of.
0: Okay. Great. So when, when Mark and I spoke last time, very briefly, I said something like, you know, we spoke for a while, we spoke briefly about this issue. I said something like, you know, I don't believe there's ever going to be a good farm bill. And then I sort of like take refuge in, you know, whatever, shopping in the far at the farmer's market and just trying to do things locally. Mark suggested quite rightly that this is, you know, this is insufficient. And uh, one option of course would be to, uh, tear down everything, tear down the food system and also all governments. And there's probably some people listening to the podcast who take this kind of eco anarchist return to nature point of view. What I wanted to talk to you two about, especially, uh, Ricardo, since we didn't have your voice in the last conversation is what is there in, in between, you know, like making Ricardo Salvador the head of the USDA and renaming it, uh, I forget what you called it, the 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 Agency for Well-Being. Yeah, the Department um, of Food, Health, and Well-Being. The Department of Food, Health, and Well-Being, and which, which I'm fine with that, Ricardo, but unless you get everything you want in the uh, omnibus agriculture farm bill, it seems like even doing that is not going to solve this problem. And then we've got on the other end, grow some tomatoes and shop on the farmer's market, which I am also all for, but that also seems like an insufficient and in some ways utopian solution. What is there in between? What can we be doing and what can we be working towards? Mark uses this term uh, agroecology in his book. Mm -hmm. Solutions come up in um, Kim Stanley Robinson's book, The Ministry for the Future. I mean, this, this sort of stuff, I wanted to get this stuff out there so people know what's being done and what can be done. To ref- reform this food system, assuming we're not all going to just go back and and live in villages, which I am again assuming we're not going to. Although some people listen to this podcast, probably that is their uh, that is their goal. I think
1: we really do need to be utopian, um, and uh, you know, to some people that means fantastical. And and what I mean is that we need to create the world that we deserve and the world that we know how to create because we know better than the system that we have right now. The the dysfunctions that exist right now are actually have uh, roots that go fairly deep and, and we could get lost in the deep history, but I'll just go back to the beginning of this particular nation. When uh, the folks that we refer to as, as founding fathers, uh, you know, colonists, um, new un- and understood already that there was going to be a big tension between the interests of the general public, the interests of the landed and the wealthy, and the interests of corporations. They're on record of as actually having stated that they were motivated in trying to set up a government that would try to keep in equilibrium the interests of those uh, different sectors. And if they were around without a doubt, they would. Pronounce that the government failed because we have complete hegemony of the corporate sector. Uh, I think every time that we say that the government has failed us, we need to correct ourselves by saying that the government has been captured by the corporate sector, and ultimately we're seeing a mirror image in the government of what the corporate sector wants this nation to look like. And so I would actually begin by saying we deserve a system that is better. Um, primarily because we're all involved in propping up this system in ways direct and indirect, the direct way being, of course, that it is our, uh, our taxes, it is our public resources, uh, it, it is uh, basically the common property goods that are being exploited in order to shape the kind of structure that we have right now. So we deserve better, and then secondly, we know better so um to be really concrete about that let me just give you one example to to chew on um, a lot of the business models that dominate in corporate agriculture right now are antiquated because they came into being let's say in the 1700s around the time of the founding when when you stop and think about it we didn't know many of the things that are critical to operate today's food system so we didn't understand such basic things as how plants operated. We didn't understand animal metabolism. We didn't understand the basic precepts of human nutrition. We didn't understand how the planet worked. At that time, labor was free when you enslaved people. At that time, pollution was free and that you could just you know, not worry about the outputs of human activity and just send them down the river happily. So here we are in the 21st century. We now understand the basic precepts of nutrition. We understand what makes us well. We understand the way that plants work. We understand the way that animals operate. We understand the notion of ecology. We understand that life on this planet is essentially a set of mutually interdependent cycles, uh, which we can intervene in, and many of which we've actually overtaken, completely taken over. And yet the business model of today's corporate sector reflect 17th century behavior, which is exploitative, and don't reflect what we now understand. So this word that you uh, uh, read uh, that Mike uses in his book of agroecology is a way of encompassing the fact that we now understand the way that the system works and our business models need to be updated to reflect that. So agroecology does that. The industrial business model, on the other hand, is the backward one. It's the one that's founded on a backward, archaic view of the world. And, you know, we are confused about that because essentially the power of technology that they apply, which is not science itself, you know, technology is applied knowledge. So the way that we've chosen to apply the power of the knowledge that we now have is in the service of exploiting better. That's what technology is doing. So there's all the blinking lights, the satellites, the drones, you know, the way that we've chosen to apply our knowledge of the way that the genetic system of living organisms work. They're all in the interest of furthering a 17th century understanding of the planet. How better can we exploit? How better can we pollute? How better can we actually take advantage of other human beings? So I would say that very few people would advocate for that, but we need to understand that that's exactly what we're doing when we advocate for the so-called modern industrial system, so we need to update our understanding of what that system actually is and what we ought to be doing instead of what the
2: system really does. That's also spot on, and I just have a couple things to add. I mean, we're unpacking a lot here. So uh, we're really unpacking a sort of theory of how society ought to be organized. Um, that does, one thing, that thing is podcast does mark. that's why we're that's why we're I, here. I enjoyed it last time. One thing is, um, you know, the the word agroecology is obviously a combination of agriculture and ecology, and maybe it helps to revisit what ecology means, and that is, it means, it's, it's the study of the interconnectedness of all things. And as Ricardo said, in the 17th, 18th, even 19th century, by the 19th century, we had an inkling of that, but Um, this is really new information. And, and Ricardo often says, uh, we, we need to live up to our rhetoric. We understand much better how the world works and we can articulate how it might work. We talk about equity and fairness and sustainability and blah, blah, blah. But we haven't made the changes. We haven't made the wholesale big changes that we need to make the move in those directions, so those are changes that are are founded in in ecology. Um, the place that Ricardo didn't quite go here because he re- he was being polite and wanted to leave me time to talk. Um, Is that this very quickly as it has here in fifteen minutes, and it happened since it happened ten minutes ago. It really happened in five minutes. Is that if you want to talk about the quote-unquote food system and you want to talk about how to fix things, you have to talk about fixing everything. You don't fix one big part of society without fixing the other big parts, and. left-wingers have known this for a long time. This is not, this is not news. Um, but it is kind of news in the food world where people talk about shopping for, growing your own tomatoes and shopping at the farmer's market, which obviously are great things, but not not particularly game changers and mm-hmm. not available to everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's, a. I think what I wanna say is that We need to think carefully about timetables and there is a sense of urgency. I don't think we really know how much time we experience disasters on a, on climate disasters on a pretty big scale kind of regularly. Now, I don't know when they start threatening or they're already threatening hundreds of thousands or millions of people. I don't know when it gets worse. I don't know when. Most people find it intolerable. You don't know what the timetable is for the future, but but we do know that, I th- I think we know that it's it's unrealistic to expect the kind of wholesale changes that we need to be happening in the near future. Having said that, it's important to talk about what the world ought to look like in some indeterminate future, and that's I think you mentioned Kim Stanley Robinson. And Kim Stanley Robinson said very famously, we all know that capitalism isn't going to be around a thousand years from now. Why don't we start dismantling it today? And that's the right attitude. We don't know if we can fix, quote, unquote, fix. There's not going to be a utopia. But we don't know if we can fix things in 20 years or 50 years or 100 years. But we know we need to start moving in the direction of fixing things now and not to be filled with despair and not to be filled with cynicism and not to be pessimistic but to say we can see the way that things can be better how do we move in that direction we think it's going to be incremental because we don't see revolutionary change on the horizon that doesn't mean the horizon can't move but but we know what directions we need to move in and and we can't let the fact that it's unlikely this is going to happen quickly discourage us because there's no other option and that really is not we are not talking about food anymore we're talking about food as a part of a fair society a just society
0: yeah i mean <laughs> sure absolutely i could i could not agree more with that it, and yeah, anyone who listens to this podcast will know that there's no aspect of society that it is not, you know, tied up into this. I've got a few ways that I uh, attack this. One of them is to think about economics and the field of economics because if there is a, a a lodestone, a touchstone that that drives our system, it's an insistence on economics and One of the things that comes up in in Mark's book, and I want to hear from Ricardo on this as well. And I mean, I've had this conversation, even on the podcast, I had it with the economist, Brad DeLong, the economist will just insist that we need the food system we have right now because it is efficient. You know, if we were all just subsisting, doing subsistence agriculture, we wouldn't be making enough food. We have to have agribusiness or we will not be able to get enough protein. This is uh, not true. This is not true. And Mark, you have plenty of statistics in your book and Ricardo, you probably have them in your head that show that this is not true. But when you discuss these kind of changes, people say like, well, we need we need all the, the that corn and all those soybeans and all those pigs because we have to feed the world. It's this green revolution rhetoric that seems to me it's this fusion of agribusiness and an and economic, a very simplistic understanding of the economics of food and quote efficiency that we might need to attack if we're going to move forward. I wanted to see what you two thought about that. that. That locus of economics and industrial agriculture is a place that I spend a lot of my intellectual energy.
1: Yeah. Well, and I think it's appropriate to spend a lot of time there because as, as you uh, very rightly put it, economic rationality, economic thinking is the way that the system that we have right now uh, has been justified. Um, the The analogy I'm gonna use here may, may actually be offensive to Simon, and I, and I mean no offense, but the the economic uh, perspective is a myopic perspective. Uh, it it isn't operating with full information. And that is not to discount the validity of economic thought and its utility and and the fact that it is a very useful aid in thinking about uh, choices that we need to make. That was the initial purpose of creating the discipline that we now know as economics. However, um, we are operating in a world that is so complex that economics Uh, essentially, and every economist knows this, has to abstract the systems around which we're making decisions. And uh, the the things that are known, the things that can be quantified, by and large uh, reflect the conversation that we just had earlier, They are things that we're familiar with because we created them and we can control them. And therefore, we can quantify these in a way that's amenable to economic thinking. And many of the things that are difficult for us to do exactly those things with are actually crucial to living well on this planet. Uh, And so therefore, we have flawed thinking when we applied economic analysis. So, for instance, examples that I mentioned earlier. Economics apply to the grand scale of agriculture on the planet. Uh, so if you think of that activity, uh, I'm an agricultural scientist and I can tell you agricultural scientists have never performed miracles. We're just doing a very concrete thing. It is that we're gathering resources from a very large area and we're concentrating them in a very small staging area to intensify the productivity of that particular area. And if there's any sophistication to that, it's in identifying what the deficiencies are in the staging area and complementing them with the stuff that we gather from a very large area. The stuff that we're gathering from a large area can be called uh, by a number of different names, but they're all in in the modern sense exploitation. They're mining, for instance, whether it be water, whether it be nitrogen from the atmosphere, whether it be ores from machinery, whether it be oil to make the whole thing operate or whether it be minerals to fertilize. And and as I mentioned, intensify productivity in very small staging areas. Well, economics doesn't measure all of that. And as a matter of fact, to the extent that it does, it it considers some of those things to be net goods.
2: Um,
1: And that's because of what I mentioned.
2: There's more to be a net good.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I mean, and I mentioned earlier, this has to do with the fact that in the 17th century, it was true that it seemed like the planet just had inexhaustible stores of quote resources that we could mine uh, without depleting them. And our economic models have not updated to reflect that is not the case. Uh, you know, uh, if people wonder how that could possibly be, just think about the way that we utilize water for agriculture. It's probably one of the biggest examples. And it's not a trivial thing, you know, as Mark has outlined in his book agriculture is the biggest user of uh, freshwater stores on the on the planet so there there's just a living example there but in general almost every precept that is core to the way that economic thinking operates cannot possibly work well for us in agriculture because it is incomplete so for instance uh one, one of the core precepts uh, I mean it, it is it is the holy of holies in economics which is, Uh, pricing uh, resources or pricing products, depends on supply and demand. And supply and demand depend on information that is accurately reflecting, uh, you know, what it costs you to produce something and, and how much people need what is being produced and whether there are alternatives. Uh, well, when it comes to agriculture, let me just give you one of the biggest examples of where uh, a dysfunction occurs I and mean, there's massive uh, market breakdown. And I hope that this is uh, consistent with the very first thing that I mentioned that we all need to keep our eye on the ball on, and that is, what is the purpose of the food system? So let me just repeat that. I hold that the purpose of food is to nourish us. If we're well-nourished, we'll be well. And so that's why, for me, food, health, and well-being are one and the same thing. So a food system that reflects what we know about food would be a food system that would understand that the thing that they are selling is health and well-being. They wouldn't do anything that wouldn't be consistent uh, with that. Well, take a look at the, quote, modern food system um they see it as you know a market of eight billion people out there that is captured because very few of us actually produce our own food so they've got this captured market of eight billion people that will buy food uh, if you will daily even if we might not all do that but you know that we depend on others producing the food for us well what motivates them is to maximize their profit, and uh in the in the uh The mantra of uh, modern economic thinking, uh, the way that you earn the greatest profit is to add value. Uh, And so the value that they add is in terms of what we would consider time-saving and convenience, as I mentioned earlier. They need to persuade us to buy what they have to sell that has the greatest added value. Another word for greatest added value from the standpoint of the years is ultra-processed food. That's the stuff that has had the greatest number of touches. And that is edible bites. It's the stuff that is the most convenient and saves us the most time. So it's you know a slice of pizza that you can nuke in two minutes in your microwave. That's the ultimate. It's the highest, most profitable thing that they can sell us. And it is the most noxious thing for us from the standpoint of our health and well-being. So, and you know just multiply that by the number of articles that the food system tells us that are ultra-processed. Uh, you know These are things that are difficult to know quantitatively, but good estimates tell us that well over 50% of the stuff that we eat in industrial societies is ultra-processed stuff, it's stuff that's not good for us. So now let's sit back and go back to what I promised you. And that is, take a look at the way that the economics of this works. So according to the market theory, If you have uh, producers and buyers that exist in a free society and they have access to information, the producers will be competing against each other uh, and the buyers will be competing against each other and the interest of the producers will be to come up with supposedly the most efficient way that they can produce something so that they could sell it at a price that will compel you. And if you're a buyer, you're interested in paying as little as possible for something that actually has value to you, that you can't get in any other way. So put that in motion in the food system and here's what we've got. The more money the food industry makes, the sicker we all get. So it is not true that when you set in place those dynamics of the market and people are free to compete with each other, both as producers and as buyers, you will generate the best outcome for everybody concerned. That's massive breakdown. And it occurs, at least if my thinking about this is consistent, because the food system does not think, uh, by the way, you know that this is an abstraction. There's no central office of the food system. But the way that the food system operates does not think that its major purpose is to make us well, to nourish us, to produce well-being. There's this distortion that I think even Adam Smith himself would recognize, that the way that we currently operate uh, is actually to maximize profit and not a system where profit rewards you for having done the right thing. And then to concentrate that profit in a very small sector of, you know, supposed shareholders in a company who could be operating a black box for all they can carry. All they care is that they maximize profit. It does not matter to them whether their products either make people sick for the rest of their lives, poison the planet, enslave people, you know, degrade, you know, everything around them, or whether it nourishes people, you know, they just want the profit to be maximized. So under the distorted system in which we currently operate, where the value of clean air, clean water, preserving soil, nourishing people is not measurable, is not seen in the in the market, then you get this degraded food system that makes us all sick at will. But economics within that is basically just a handmaiden, you know, it's not pointing you in the right direction, it's not pointing you in the wrong direction, it's the excuse that's used by folks that want to produce a particular outcome that benefits them, and then they take refuge by saying, oh, this is is, uh, essentially capitalist thinking, which produces greatest efficiency. So you know the efficiency that they're referring to is what I've already named, the efficiency of exploitation. Mm-hmm. You know, let, let's talk about the ultimate products and see how efficient the system is, and you know, we'll we'll conclude differently.
2: Yeah, yeah I think the economic question is kind of, and Robert, if I can semi-interpret, I think the economic question is a red herring, and we need to be asking more fundamental questions. So the question, what is food for Mm -hmm. it's not an economic question it's a philosophical question or a moral question or a what have we observed by living on this planet question and when you answer the question what is food for for nourishment and you say okay but we don't act that way then the you see the economics is just a justification for well we don't act as if food is to nourish people um with and and that it you know its impact its negative impact should be minimized its maximum its positive impact should be maximized and and we would be encouraging well-being if we did that instead we act as if food is just another source of profit and if you look at things strictly economically i mean it, it's kind of justifiable given given the way things are, but it makes no sense whatsoever. Um, I'll point out again that the same question could be asked about housing, about transportation, about health care, about government, about, about I don't know how many important primary level things there are, a dozen or two dozen, not more than that, big, broad things upon which Human well-being depends, and in each one of them, if you say, "What is what is healthcare for? What is transportation for? What is housing for?" And so, the answer is the real answer is never to make money, and the real answer, the answer in reality, is always to make money. We act as if the answer is to make money, but none of us believe that, except for the people who have a vested interest in making money on that stuff or people who've been otherwise brainwashed. But I I don't think if you say to somebody seriously, what is food for? Anyone, anyone's answer would be so that General Mills can make profit.
0: Yeah, but if you asked, I mean, this is kind of where I started and we're running low of time, but if you asked Tyson or General Mills, they would say, they would give the Adam Smith answer, we're making money by providing nourishment to people and i think ricardo you've got it right they have absolutely abstracted this system so that first of all nourishment doesn't mean what it should mean and secondly the cost the true cost i mean just a quick historical example i'm sure the practices that caused the dust bowl were very efficient when conceived of in the short term precisely as you're describing in the long term the dust bowl was very Inefficient and nobody made any profit off of the dust bowl, conceived over a long enough period of time. But we simply, as Mark is saying, don't have. We're not even allowed to think in those terms if we're thinking in these economic models. And that's why they're that's why they're the handmaiden to these destructive practices.
2: I mean, let me say one more thing, and then I do have to go shortly. Um, they lie when they say they're providing nourishment, which yeah. Ricardo just went through. But they're not providing nourishment. They're providing things that um, the late uh, the late Herman Daly, who was a, a a progressive a progressive economist, said they're they're providing things that don't promote health. They promote ill ill <laughs> being the opposite of health. Um, they're not. They're not providing nourishment. They're providing things that make us sicker. And to go back to something Ricardo said a few minutes ago, if you any society that spends more money on food, more time, more money, more care on food has lower healthcare costs than any society that spends less money, less less uh, less time, less energy on food. The price of that convenience food is stuff that doesn't really meet the definition of food it's closer to the definition of poison because it's making us sick. So if you kind of unpack that, you say, well, even if you thought the the role of food was to make money, they've converted food into non-food in a way and are making money on that.
0: I I guess we're out of time. I mean, it does seem to me though, that in some ways it's pretty, it's pretty simple. You know You know what food is. We all know what food is. We all know that we've run out of time in terms of the exploitation of the Earth's resources. We all know that exploiting people is is bad, or we should know that. And it's pretty obvious what to do. The problem is most people, and this goes back again to the central question of this podcast, most people don't feel like they have access to the mechanisms that can make a different world, which is why I fall back on grow your own tomatoes and shop at the farmer's market because you can do that. And then otherwise it is about, and Mark mentions this in his book, it's about organizing, it's about cooperation, it's about forming movements and and changing things. And Ricardo, I know you've been out on the barricades. I mean, that's that's what it's about ultimately and it's just a a long and difficult, but I mean necessary existential project to 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 turn the ship towards nourishing people and nourishing the world. And you know, if you don't nourish the world, you're not going to nourish any people either.
1: Yeah, well put. Well put.
0: All right. I guess we will we will leave it there. Mark, such a pleasure to have you back, Ricardo. Uh, It's very nice to meet you. I'll say again, Animal Vegetable Junk by Mark Bittman. It is the best introduction to these problems. It is a pleasure to read. And Mark, I promised to tell my wife she just got How to Cook Everything Fast yesterday. She hasn't cooked from it yet, but she's very, very excited about it.
2: Well, that's great. Thank you. But thanks again, Graham. For It's always fun to talk with you. So we'll do it again.
0: Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you, Ricardo. Thank you, Mark.
2: Okay. Take care. See you soon.